You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. It's gone 8.35 uh, Central African time and at that time of the evening where we welcome uh, Anwar Kasamani segment. Uh, Driving with Anwar. Anwar, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And tell me how you doing this fine, uh, beautiful Tuesday evening. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, my brother. How are you feeling, Anwar? From last week, uh, you sound uh, better. Your engines are firing on all cylinders. Irony has it. You know, I'm not one for medication. So, Alhamdulillah, I, I, I still feel a little dizzy, I think, from time to time. I, I'm not really good at taking medication, uh, Brother Shafat. Uh, give me a herbal. I know I've been taking a little of turmeric uh, powder, some honey, Alhamdulillah, with some hot water. I think that helps me for the antibiotic side. But uh, I think this infection that's around, I mean, with chest infections, uh, if I look at my kids' school and everything, you know, all around me, I think there's some bug or something in the air because a lot of people seem to be having this, you know. So, alhamdulillah, I think, uh, as long as it's not COVID, alhamdulillah, I think we all can live with something like this. Well, and what I knew before, hey, they say, hey, the carburetor and all that, let's clean it up and they'll, they'll be opening up the valve and I think, what, they should put brake fluid there or petrol, I don't know. But I remember the, you know, the, the people of yesteryear used to do all that. But today's cars have advanced to such an extent, you don't do things like that. It all has uh, has to do with electronics, and what? Most definitely. But you know, the funny part is when it comes to, uh, uh, I know even injection, if you find like, you know, most of the time guys just take out the throttle body, they clean, they put it back together. But a lot of times I am frequented with the vehicles that has carburetors. If you look at the 2E, the Corolla, or at least the Taz, which is still quite common, you know. Uh, you find that you just need to put your hand over, give it a couple of rubs, choke the carb, as they call it. Alhamdulillah, it runs smoothly ever. And same with the old Golf. I did a Golf the other day, actually. A Golf 1. And exactly the same. It comes in missing and, you know, don't interfere with anything. But what I found, especially on fuel injection parts also, all you have to do if you've, if you've got a distributor on the vehicle, loosen your distributor, just turn it, offset your timing a little, and once it backfires, you find that it goes beautifully and clean thereafter. I mean, be careful also, you can blow the head gasket, but at the same time, just lightly enough, just for you to clean up you know, your injectors. So there is quite a number of things, but when it comes to aftermarket products like fuel injection cleaners, it's like going into an aisle in a shopping center and looking for an item, and there's so many hundreds to choose, you come out by nothing confused. Now, exactly the same. So I still believe, you know, uh, old school, I suppose, home remedies are still the best, and a lot of vehicles, I think it still works up to the present day. You know, you talk about the old school, and uh, then I remember the old buses and the old trucks and so forth. And, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, mechanics, uh, some of them, the owner used to be the mechanics of the vehicle. And, you know, in the uh, uh, they always had a workshop, maybe on the property and so forth. But how they managed to carry these big engines and work with that, uh, it was quite amazing, uh, Anwar. You know, the funny part is, I, I, somehow a mechanic, is, his body becomes accustomed and trained to certain things in his life. I remember when I was uh, many years back that um, I could carry a golf motor. I remember doing a GTI motor, completely assembled, open the bonnet fully, carry it, put it into the motor, align it into the gearbox, and bolt it onto the balloon. Alhamdulillah, perfectly fine. Today, I can't do that. You know, so... The, and then you look at my son, on the other hand. My son, Hamza, got a beautiful bird, goes to the gym seven days a week. I mean, you have to jump for that type of uh, uh, stamina instead. You know, so when it comes to the mechanics of yesteryear, I remember when I was young, uh, you know, uh, family friends used to come over. 
and they'll have come with this Hillman Vogue or this uh, Peugeots or this Chrysler's and all these old cars. And the amount of time they took in washing this vehicle, and I always noticed something that was peculiar in all those vehicles. They all had a mini toolbox in the vehicle. Most probably it was a brown case, an old school bag as such. But every one of them was so-called mechanics. And the beauty of yesteryear was it was such a simplified, a motor vehicle was so simplified that anyone could work with it. You know, so obviously now we have an abundance of mechanics or auto electricians because most of the vehicles are electronic nowadays, you know, so you need to visit one of those guys. But all said and done, yesteryear mechanics are hardcore slow. I, I still take my hat out for them for the things that they, they could accomplish that piece of time with a lack of modern innovation and equipment and spares. You know, they still had, you know, the capacity of actually thinking and bringing to life certain things that was totally dead. And alhamdulillah, you know, I, I always respect that. Yeah, absolutely, Anwar. And, uh, you know, you talk about uh, uh, doing, I mean, they call certain cars uh, the donkeys of yesteryear. I mean, the VW Beetle, uh, it hardly went for service, Anwar. Almost definitely. If you look at the Beetle, uh, as you mentioned, I think the 20 million Beetle rolled out in, uh, I think, uh, what was it, uh, in 1988, I think it was. It was still manufactured in Mexico until it stopped there after. And a very hardy vehicle because it was, a, it was actually meant an all-terrain vehicle. And if you had to analyze, Volkswagen means a family wagon. And I remember the history behind it because Adolf Hitler actually at that period of time Ferdinand Porsche designed the vehicle. And uh, it was an all-terrain vehicle and it was sold for 200 francs. So what the people at that period of time did in Germany was they all invested in this vehicle, 200 francs. And Hitler himself thought it would be, it will no, never be a success. But it was such a successful car that it became one of the most popular uh, iconic vehicles in the world you know so if you think uh, you know vehicles like the, those hardcore vehicles we never had on water it was air cool because of desert because of rough terrain itself so likewise now today we have modern vehicles where you can with the switch of a button i go to name the jeep switch of a button you've got air con you don't really feel that brutalness of the, the environment itself even if you go off-roading you know, but if you sit in one of yesteryear vehicles, definitely you will feel parts of your body will be replaced in certain different parts, you know, because the, the ride it gives you. And I suppose it was uh, the fun and game of all, uh, you know, way back in the past. You spoke about the Peugeot 404. I mean, uh, you, you, you looked at that car. It was very, uh, uh, it gave you a very good drive. Uh, you know, it, uh, it was actually uh, quite a luxurious uh, drive and so forth. And, uh, Another car which was uh, many say maintenance free, and what? Most definitely came up with slant motors. I remember I was a kid at that time and I had the luxury of actually helping my dad once with one of those vehicles. What a it was noted for blowing head gaskets every now and again. I suppose that period of time, the, the, you know, the, the cooling system was not as advanced as it is today. You know, so yes, you were bound to actually have a blown head gasket here or there, but it was never told to any workshop. People used to do it at home. And uh, when it came to that vehicle, I, I remember it was actually noted as a doctor's vehicle because of the ride it, it gave. And if you go a little further back, you'll notice the system itself, you know, when the Citroen was first made, it was advertised with three wheels. It, it was actually advertised that nobody in the world could actually some sort of capsize that vehicle, which was so true because the vehicle was on pneumatics. So if you had a punch and if you took out one tire, the vehicle would still run perfectly fine. So, you know, those were cars. I, I think they were modern vehicles, I would put it, in the era that we have actually lived and enjoyed. Yeah, so 
You know, nowadays, I think they have made cars much lighter. We have recycled metal on all these cars. We have electronic competition amongst all the car manufacturers itself. We have alloy and we have aluminium motors. We don't have cast iron anymore because of heat efficiency. You know, so everyone is trying to burn down, you know, cut down on emission control. So if you look at the, the quality that we have actually today, you cannot even compare or contrast it to vehicles in the past because those were all virgin metals that were used, were cast iron blocks. Most of the heads were cast iron and they were solid. You know, you could check tappets, unlike today, you got shims and hydraulics. Everything was to an arm and a leg. You know, so there is absolutely no comparison in my mind when it comes to vehicles. Yes, you, you do have speed. You have most probably a little better on uh, economy and consumption itself. But if you look at the safety aspect and the endurance of the vehicle itself for the amount of years of luxury driving it or giving you. I don't think it's really comparable with uh, three vehicles. Yes, I know that you were absolutely right that the Peugeot 404 was a doctor's vehicle. I remember my late uncle, uh, Dr. Dawood Suleiman, Allah Felis with Noor, uh, he had a Peugeot 404, and, uh, you know, I was a lighty then. He said, let me drive it here and there. So, alhamdulillah, really got to know what a driver it had. Now, I'm moving on now with, uh, you know, talking about our country, where there's more and more, you know, factories uh, coming up to build vehicles in South Africa. And uh, there's a new one coming up. Uh, uh, Stellantis uh, announces the intention to build uh, vehicles here, here in South Africa. Everyone wants to build vehicles here. What's the reason for that, Anwar? I'll actually say, you know, because of the land on the exchange, and I'll also say because of cheap labor, you know, I think they are actually utilizing or using our country. You know, on one side of the coin, we'll say it's actually to boost the economy and create jobs. On the other side of the coin, I will actually say, you know what, it's to exploit our work, our workforce here in South Africa. And because the government gives a lot of tax incentives, you know, especially to these type of corporate uh, companies, you know, so it actually is beneficial to them to actually open all these corporate com- uh, companies here. What the government should have actually done is try to have kept the corporate companies that were in this country for all these years, and most of the giants are actually moving out of the country. So obviously he is actually escaping services and trying to sign deals with people, exactly like how he signed deals with the Chinese, because initially when the Chinese came into South Africa, they weren't uh, supposed to pay duties or taxes on anything, and it came off a duration of time for many, many years, until a few years ago where he started implementing and imposing taxes and duties on this, um, you know, foreigners itself. So likewise, we need to be looking at the car manufacturer. Last week in Johannesburg, with Ibrahim Patel, our actually trade minister, Sint has actually uh, signed a deal with them that by 2025 they will create an manuf- uh, extensive uh, manufacturing plant for motor vehicles. Now, it's really a hundred company, but really speaking, it has 14 top brands underneath this company. And some of the brands that they actually own is Fiat, Alpha, Jeep, uh, I think it's Opel, Peugeot, Citroen. Those are all the local brands. Now, if you look at the international brands, you look at, um, obviously, you get uh, uh, vehicles like Lancia. You're looking at uh, uh, the other vehicle like Ram itself, where there's only uh, Bucky's itself. So, really, it's quite a good company to actually deal with, especially on settled livings in South Africa. Considering that the average sales in South Africa at the present moment is about 368 cars per month which obviously they're trying to boost, you know. Uh, so once again, you know, I'll have to, uh, on one side of the coin, I'll have to actually, you know, uh, take the hat out for them because they have the guts to actually open a, com- uh, a company, 
you know, a production company here in South Africa, you know, especially where they've been so volatile, all the strikes and all this low cheering that's taking place, you know, so obviously I'll give them credit, but I don't think the media will actually portray what incentives the government or what kickback they really got, you know, in order for them to open uh, this manufacturing company here in South Africa. Absolutely, Anwar, and I'm looking at a question for you on the screen. Uh, Bashir says, Assalamu alaikum, uh, Brother Shafa, lovely show indeed with your chomi Anwar Kasim. Yeah, he is more than a chomi, my, my lighty brew. Uh, Anwar, uh, he wants to know from you, which is uh, South Africa's popular car? Yeah, Anwar? It's most definitely a Toyota because it's locally manufactured. I would definitely say Toyota. I myself personally, Alhamdulillah, have very, very refined vehicle, but Toyota has taken it for the last few years. Volkswagen has always come in second for some reason or the other. And obviously, depending on the LED market, uh, you're looking at, then you look at the Ford Rangers and, you know, so forth. But Toyota has always taken first place in South Africa. Well, you heard it there. Anwar says, everything keeps going right for who? You know who. Uh, Anwar, moving on uh, with uh, the other topic that we have here, traffic chaos caused by load shedding. And, uh, you know, tell us why, what's happening, all this load shedding, traffic chaos, and uh, you got some information for us there. You know, this uh, this is uh, the irony of the whole thing. You know, I, I think about it quite frequently, especially when I'm caught in traffic, and, you know, you, you, you get frustrated. You've got your air con blowing, yes, but at the same time, <clears throat> something else. It is frustrating because, you know, you, you get most of the street vendors and you get these guys loitering and digging around and they actually call, they, they, there's a name given to them, it's actually called Pointsman, which I didn't really know. And you just slip them a couple of ads because they're doing such a fantastic job as such, which is obviously not all the time. Now, you know, you've got to remain calm. And obviously, because of load shedding at its peak in South Africa, and it, it was talking about a total blackout. We're not really sure, you know, with this country being so unpredictable. But also in Dandabha, uh, if you're looking at uh, the, the amount of uh, load chain that we're getting, you know, the amount of fuel that we're burning up, the amount of emission that we're emitting into the environment itself. Yet we, we in South Africa, we always, you know, go green. The government gets its taxes out of emission control, you know, depending on what the emission ratings on this vehicle. So, I, you know, it's always a double-sided sword, I feel, you know, because here we have load chain on one side. And our government, for all the fuel that you burn, he earns over five grand a liter of that petrol that goes directly into his so-called pocket that he can so-called dispose of at however he wishes, you know. So it's a win-win situation for him. But on the other side of the coin, he doesn't care about the people of South Africa. Reason being, he, he could have actually deployed people in a good uh, scenario will be purified South in prospecting every afternoon, low chilling or no low chilling. Obviously, they don't get load shedding, you know. You find there's all these police guys, these metro guys, all, you know, strategically placed. So they have a certain amount of efficiency when it comes to the traffic rollout of prospecting area. Now, why don't we see the same in all other areas, especially when there's blackouts, when there's the robots are not working, you know. So I, I just think it's unfair because you find the corporate itself, you know, tends to hold the government, you know, by his hand and it dictates to the government. And on the other side, we are the ones who actually benefits this country, but we get nothing, you know, in return. So, you know, when stats were actually done, when it comes to the robots not working and A got involved and some ministers got involved, 
they found that you need twice the amount of traffic officers to actually man the robots because of load sharing. And obviously that is a no-no zone, obviously, you know, because that will never happen. So Rajapad is something that we have to unfortunately live with. We have to remain calm. It's my duty to actually tell the listeners out there, you have to be calm, you know, um, don't lose your temper, don't create road rage. No matter what, the taxi next to you wants to bash into you and scrape you, whatever the case is, just remain calm. That is all it is. You know, somehow the other the other thing that he said that you need to look at the schedule before you actually go on to a journey. But also you must consider that some people are leaving work and there's no schedule to look at whether it's on or off. The point is they need to reach a destination which is home. And it's unfair to these people. You know, a lot of people reach home two, three hours later, you know, because of all this traffic congestion that is caused and created by our government. So unfortunately, once again, there's nothing we can really do about it. All we can actually do is complain, obviously, to deaf ears. But at the same time, I suppose the only consolation we can really have out of this year is to just remain calm. And inshallah, you know, time will tell. Maybe all this will be a dream of the past and our grandkids. You know, we'll laugh it off if we ever told them the stories and the era that we live in South Africa. No, absolutely. And I mean, I look at people budget, uh, you know, they have a budget for a week to go to work and come back home. Uh, but a traffic jam, how much does it, uh, you know, eat into the budget of your of your fuel uh, and what? Quite considerably, I would say. If you look at, if you consider my vehicle, it's a stop and start vehicle. The moment you apply brakes and if that program is on, obviously it stops and it starts. You tend to say 15% as robots will stop and go. But uh, realistically, look at it. It becomes frustrating in a traffic jam because you can't really stop and go. You know, you are moving very slowly. You're stationary for a period of time. Then suddenly you you might leave a car or two, and it carries on in that fashion. You know, so obviously you're not really saving money. All you're creating is pollution, and you're actually burning money. You know, so there is no easy way to actually get out of that situation. What the government could have done, considering that he has implemented, not forecasted, you know, I mean, that is poor management, really speaking. You know, from on his part, on his minister's part, when it comes to the schedules of load sharing itself, because we shouldn't be actually experiencing this at all, because the people of South Africa has been paying their lights tirelessly. You know, so yet we are still in a in a so-called dark era. You know, so it's totally wrong. It's unacceptable. Obviously, we are, I think we all can agree with that. But at the same time, there's nothing we can do about it. So you know, when it comes to the efficiency of vehicles, you know, I look at it and I have this conversation quite often with friends, and I tell them with the government, it's a win-win all the way for him. Because every time you burn fuel, he gets he makes over five rand in his pocket. Load charging for the generator, he makes over five rand a liter a day. Then he, he increases your lights periodically every year, so many times a year, which now entitles us. I think we are paying over two hundred percent in the last two years. You know, so how could he possibly lose? And how could he possibly still ask for one and a half trillion? Rands to actually um, uh, bring uh, come back to power, which is totally unfair, uh, to, you know, to the people of South Africa. Yeah, absolutely, Anwar. And uh, while you're going to tell us uh, why we shouldn't uh, rely on plug repair for tire punctures, Anwar? You know, uh, that is an ongoing issue, especially, you know, as if a couple of years ago, they want to actually ban the plugs, the one that you actually, you know, take out the vehicle. A lot of uh, vehicles, the tires are not really taken out, really. 
You know, you go to a, a quick stop garage as such, and they just push in a plug, and next thing they fill in the air, and you're good to go. You know, the, the problem is with these plugs, you know, they, they basically straight plugs. And I'll tell you the difference between three of them, really. Uh, the straight plugs, especially around cornering, especially if you're looking at heat of the surface, road surface itself, expansion takes place, contraction takes place. So it does give you a certain amount of leeway where air could escape, where the plug itself could get loose. You know, so it becomes dangerous because of blowout. And I think we all can anticipate exactly what happens at a blowout. So it is life-threatening and dangerous. So the right thing to do, if you're going to use a plug, you know, do it at a reputable place. And I, I, I honestly think, you know, if you're going to use any plug, make sure it's a mushroom plug. A mushroom plug is something that is actually in case the tie is taken off the rim, they push in this plug and it's it, it, it's a hundred percent done deal basically. You know, you don't have a further problem, you know. But unfortunately because of cost factor, if you look at a normal uh, plug, if you went to a reputable garage and you put a normal plug, it'll cost you a hundred bucks. But if you put a mushroom plug, it's two hundred. So obviously it's, it's quite a considerable saving if you put a normal plug, you know. But really speaking, those plugs that they actually use cost about two rands each, you know, so the profit margin is considerably high either way, you know, so when it comes to any, then you look at sidewalls, you know, we have quite, you know, South Africa is a very flexible country, you know, we we have people selling Z-Groove tires, you know, on all the social media platforms, you know, which is totally illegal. And then we have, you know, sidewall punches where you can actually galvanize it. But then you have to send it for galvanizing to the people person, you know, where they actually put a patch on the inside of your tire. So, you know, really, uh, the other day I was actually looking for uh, tires for my vehicle. And I refused to get any other tire bottle on flat. Yes, I paid twice the price of it, but alhamdulillah, you know, I don't have the issue if I have a puncher where I'm parked off on the side of the road. The vehicle will still take me to my destination and I can repair or change, you know, at my own leisure. And that is why, you know, if our government actually brought down the prices of Lunfat and made it affordable to everyone out there, you know, we won't have guys on the roadside trying to change tires, endangering their lives, you know, so... It's just that it is remarkably high when it comes to costing of, uh, you know, the, these type of tires. You know, so Alhamdulillah, I think, you know, once again, there's a market for something. And if our listeners out there is actually listening to this, you know, maybe there's something that could be done. And we could actually waver into the next era where we won't have the normal tires where we need to put a plug in it. And we all have run flat in our vehicles. You know, you talk about the run-flat tires. So, in other words, uh, uh, what's the maximum kilometers that you can use that are run-flat tires? And in uh, other words, you can go and get the same tire repaired on what? Yes, I had that problem once, actually, on the BMW F30. And I traveled with my wife, uh, I, I think, to a range of about 30 kilometers and somewhere along the line. My, my buzzer came on and next thing it showed on my instrumentation that um, my right back tire had an issue. So obviously I pulled into a garage and I filled in the air and the moment I left the garage, the light popped up again and I realized I had a sidewall, you know, a, a, a hit. I almost probably picked up something on the freeway. So I tell my wife, I said, you know what, we're not going to travel back on that freeway. Let's go to town, let's go to a safe zone and come back to Spring Beach, which is ours, about 30 k's away. I started off the journey. I could hear a slight slap on the vehicle. But my, my vehicle itself was steady as normal. I could only hear a light noise. And... I started off about 40 k's an hour, and slowly I got brave. I went up to 60, and I came all the way perfectly fine at 80 to 100 kilometers an hour. 
I still drove the vehicle for the next two to three days. Perfectly fine. If you looked at the vehicle, the tire was, it seemed fully inflated, but it wasn't. It wasn't holding any air. And three days later, I the vehicle to have my tires replaced. So when it comes to run flat, I have a lot of confidence in them. But because I think of personal experience itself, you can pick up a nail or screw. You will still drive yourself perfectly fine to the next destination. That is why all the vehicles uh, coming out with run flats don't have spare tires. Firstly, because of the weight on in the boot itself, and secondly, because there's never a need for you to have a spare tire, you know, to carry around. So, alhamdulillah, you know, that is something people should actually consider when it comes to, you know, when the time when they replace the vehicle, it might cost twice as much as, you know, has a normal uh, tire. But really speaking, you can actually save your life in the long run, and you can reach a destination without actually getting yourself on the side of the road or dirtied up, you know, trying to check the vehicle and trying to change the tire. So, alhamdulillah, I think it's a, it's a good way to actually move ahead, you know, especially in the times and the era that we live in such a volatile country. Absolutely, mashallah, Anwar. Uh, you enjoyed your company. Lovely, powerful information coming through. That's your parting words uh, this evening. Alhamdulillah, I, I don't know. There's a lot of anticipation about the so-called strike, you know. And I, I just feel, you know, uh, there's a lot of, uh, uh, I, I'll say, attention that's giving to people that is not even due for it. But I suppose in time will tell exactly what's going to happen. But, you know, really speaking, I think it's time we all, you know, put our heads together as one nation. And I've said this time and time again, you know, don't let the government disrupt us. Don't let the government divide us. He's been doing that for the last 30 odd years. You know, let's stand together as one voice. And inshallah, you know, let's be beneficial to each other. I mean, that's human. It's a human thing to do, you know, and whatever can come our way by a small, meager person, you know, should never bother us, should never alter our lives, and we should never refrain or have any form of fear. You know, we only need to fear one person only, and that's Almighty Himself. So those people with all the meager, small threats, you know, like Anne's uh, brother Shafat, I would say, gets to be frustrating at times when the economy is so low, and especially what they are going through in this country at this present moment. So inshallah, you know, people just hang in there, and all this will be at the end of the past very, very soon. Amin Anwar, you have a beautiful evening ahead, and as usual, you do justice to a segment, Driving with Anwar. We'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Uh, time for us to go for the Isha Azan, and uh, thereafter, Walana Salim Karim will be joining you on the family room, and we'll end off with Ibrahim Badacha on Travel Express. Let's go for the Isha Azan.